Hi, all. Welcome to this week's episode of Mission Forward. This week, we have brought back a guest that we first interviewed as part of our Community Conversations series last fall. Eric Mead is an award-winning author of two books, Reframing Poverty and Whole Mind Facilitation, and he's a nationally recognized facilitator who stands outside of time to help groups see their current issues in a longer-term perspective. He is smart, engaging, funny, and honest, and I appreciate the perspective he brings to this week's conversation, in which we reflect on history, we get real about how living in this time feels, and we touch on how the past can help prepare us for the future. This is a great episode, so stay tuned. Eric Mead, I am so glad to have this conversation with you today. Um, For those who are listening, you were so gracious to have a conversation with us back last spring, not too long after the pandemic had started. We had you in on one of our community conversations that was part of our response, our company's response to COVID and how we were bringing communities together to think through the effects in in real time of, of COVID. And we loved that conversation. And so I am really glad and grateful for your time today as we bring that conversation forward into present day as we sit here at the beginning of 2021. Thanks, Gary. I'm very happy to be here. So we're going to start the way we're starting all of our shows this season to get some context for those who are listening. Tell me where you are, literally, where are you sitting? (laughs) Um, And what's one thing in your view that makes you happy? Well, where am I? I am in my man cave in the basement that uh, is one of the outcomes of this pandemic. And uh, so I'm hunkered down within a house that is hunkered down. Uh, So where am I, you know, more emotionally? Right now, I think I feel a new optimism. Obviously, given my politics, that's a consequence of some of the good things coming out of Washington in the past several days. Uh, It's also, we just decided this morning to send our kids back to in-person school. They had been staying at home. That may turn out to be a good decision. That may turn out to be a bad decision. But I guess the optimism is more around feeling that we are doing our best. You know, as a country, we're now trying to do our best. And uh, as a family, we're trying to do our best. And how it turns out, we don't know, but that's that's all we can hope for. Eric, you and I are both in similar situations where we are both raising businesses and raising families at the same time. Um, you've got you've got still pretty little ones, don't you? No, the, uh, I've got eighth and eighth and fourth grade. So we're we're in uh, similar boats. Mine are a little bit younger than yours, but we're we're working through the same um, hard questions right now. This season, we are talking about this concept of pressing forward. How do we press forward even when we feel like the world is up against us, when we feel like we've got a, a, a rock or maybe a boulder in front of us that feels really tough to move, right? How do we keep thinking about one step in front of the next moving forward? So much of 2020 gave us this time to think about what was standing in our way, the things that remain standing in our way, and how do we either, um, you know, face those and think about it, move forward, or, or do they push us back a bit? Um, and, and there have certainly been plenty of times when they have pushed me back. But I'm curious if you're willing to share um, what 2020, the experience that was 2020, teach you about your work, about your team, about yourself? I might ask a question about the word pressing or just or just raise some discussion of it because pressing does sound like effort and work mm-hmm. and and sounds strenuous and i just want to create the space for recognizing that a lot of people probably would be intimidated 
by the concept of, of pressing forward. It's like, heck, I'm pressing, you know, I'm, I'm running to stand still right now. And I think a lot of people yeah. have felt that. And I think that's okay. You know, my favorite book of the Bible is Ecclesiastes, which is all about, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. And uh, there's a time for, for different types of responses. And I think recognizing that uh, 2020 required a different set of responses from previous years in, in recent memory, I think that would make sense. In terms of my own work and my own lived experience of the past year, I'd say I have come to value the long-term perspective that I have. You know, I've long called myself a futurist and I, in, in college, I studied history. So it's, I, I think I probably just have an inherently long-term perspective looking both ways that has advantages and disadvantages. One is I quickly adapt to changes in situations that, that I can point to precedents for. So, you know, this pandemic is not totally unprecedented. We had something very similar a hundred years ago. There have been other, uh, other pandemics. I actually uh, have an aunt, uh, a late aunt who uh, had polio in the last few years of kids getting polio and it, it significantly affected her life. So these types of things have happened before and recognizing that this is, this is part of the world we live in. And then the, even the, what I would call a, a failed coup that we've experienced uh, in the past few months or, or few years, that is how those things happen too. And they've happened before, you know, Hitler was elected uh, in Germany before he decided that they weren't going to have elections anymore. So part of it is that long-term perspective, which I think as a facilitator, which is a, a big part of my work, I think that helps me because I'm I'm not thrown to emotional extremes given what any organization is dealing with right now. I'm kind of like, well, that's these are like the three to five big human problems that we deal with. How do you want to deal with it this time? Uh, so that long-term perspective has really come to the fore as a futurist and a historian and recognizing that probably the best place to apply a long-term perspective is in the present. Yeah, it's a great um Great perspective. And perspective, I think, is an important one to the question that you raised at the beginning. It's such a good one. What does this idea of pressing mean? And when we came into this season, we were thinking about it around um, the, the organizations that you and I primarily serve, nonprofits, foundations, that they have a mission and they are trying to think about how to advance that mission. For a lot of them, 2020 threw out you know, the, the rule book and they had to reimagine either how do we keep moving forward if it looks completely different than what we had on paper, making sure that above all else, we don't fall backwards. And a lot of organizations and institutions and industries have said, we will fall backwards, right? We are seeing this right now all across education as we think about our kids and their experience and kids who do not have the privilege that my kids have of having um, access to technology to have that process move them forward, right? There's a lot of falling back that we are seeing. Really, the, the spirit of this season is how are each of our guests thinking about this time as one that we can indeed continue to take steps forward, even with the barriers that are all around us. So there's a little bit of context there. But I love that you went right to, to history and perspective, right? That I wrote a blog a couple of weeks ago um, called A Time Like No Other, or is it? And it played back. The opening line of the blog was actually pulled from um, a, an article that was around uh, President Franklin Roosevelt's inauguration. You read the opening and it might as well be today, right? So the, the opening line was, 
as security fears gripped its capital and a global calamity continued to claim the lives of hundreds of thousands of its citizens, the U.S. prepared for a presidential inauguration unlike any in its history. That's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Might as well be today, right? right? So it's an interesting um, uh, background and perspective you have, having been so deeply embedded in an understanding of history. Well, and I think that's really important from the American, in terms of American political history, because we look at the recent events and how disconnected we are and, and divided we are. And we're like, so shocked that this, that this could happen in, in the US. And yet, I mean, within my lifetime, the US was like that back, you know, I was born in, I guess I was born, you know, within a year, maybe of, of Nixon resigning. And, you know, mm-hmm. the whole 60s and, and early 70s and Watergate and, and the rest of it and not trusting government and uh, not to mention the Civil War. And if anything, I think at all levels, this has, this past year has taught us who we really are. And it's tempting to think, oh, we're, you know, we've made so much progress and we're, we're over all of our, <laughs> of our stuff from the past. And uh, as a country, I think we're just, just I, I won't even, I don't even want to say at this point in the conversation that it's, it's good or bad. It's before you say it's good or bad, you just have to say that it, it is. And that's for people's own lives. And it's, it's for our life as a, as a country. Yeah. This past week. Uh, and so now this will be several weeks back when, when this airs, but, um, the, New York Times Magazine had a cover story, an illustration of a crew of painters painting a new coat onto the American flag, right? Looking at this tattered flag and putting a fresh coat onto it, which is an interesting statement to make that our democracy has been uh, hurt on a lot of levels. There's a right. lot of rebuilding that has to be put forward. And and I agree with you. This is going to be, um, as, as Ruth Bader Ginsburg says, who or said, who's, who's right over my shoulder right now, um, in, in my office that, you know, it, change is incremental, right? It's small steps that make big change. Curious if that's, if that's what you're feeling too, right? There's no sweeping change necessarily that we're seeing right now, but it's small steps. And you said earlier that there are a lot of organizations that have said we're, we're falling backwards. So yeah. it's not just steps forward, it's steps backwards. And yeah, you know, this, this pandemic hit in my 45th year, or I guess my 46th year, shortly after my 45th birthday. So it, for me, it kind of coincided with the midlife crisis that it's, hmm. it's hard to differentiate, you know, what, you know, attribute different thoughts to, to each one. Uh, but I think any type of disruption like that, it's, it is yeah, on many levels, it's a step backwards and on other levels it's a step forward. And when you think about long-term change, it is, it is incremental and it's, the new insights that come out of a disruption like this, would I be making some of the changes in in my life? You know, would my midlife crisis have been as <laughs> successful and effective without a global pandemic? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Would, you know, whatever steps we're going to take in our democracy, since the conversation has kind of gone that way. And, and so we're, I won't, you don't make me do where it's, it's Monday following the inauguration uh, right now. So, uh, you know, obviously that has revealed major issues with our democratic process. I mean, we, yes, we survived a coup attempt, but barely. I mean, this year, I mean, it is, my wife and I were talking about it last night. It's like, you could come up with like five Republicans that are either aligned with Trump or, you know, long standing Republicans 
conservatives that are responsible for the fact that our democracy still exists. I'm thinking of, you know, three Trump appointed justices on the Supreme Court, and I'm thinking of two, you know, Georgia, uh, you know, political officials, elected, or, yeah, elected officials. So, so what comes out of that, though? That's a major disruption and major awareness of weaknesses in our system. And what do we do with that is, is the question. And it might end yeah. up being a much better outcome than we would have had without, without Trump, without the pandemic. That's right. You know, it does seem like for as much of the uh, experience of the last several years that we would have chosen not to have, it has right. certainly forced our society to uh, make some change and face some hard realities that have been right in front of us for hundreds of years. Yeah. And when I, I've said this often, when I look back at the things that I'm most grateful for, for in my life that have led me to grow the most, it's always the stuff that I never would have signed up for. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash mission forward. There's over 180,000 titles for you to choose from, including some of my favorites, like the book I'm reading now, Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu. It's both brilliantly funny and devastatingly honest about race, pop culture, immigration, and assimilation. And it's the winner of the 2020 National Book Award for Fiction. Visit audibletrial.com slash mission forward to get your free audiobook today. I want to talk about this paper that you wrote recently, but before we do, I want you to give us some context for, you know, your, your work and your purpose, which is so fascinating. So talk a little bit about the work that you do, and then let's let's talk about that most recent paper a little bit. Well, you mentioned my purpose. I hope you tell me more about that because I'm I'm curious <laughs> curious what that is. Uh, so, if I had to name my purpose, especially coming out of you know the past year or so, it really is helping people sit in the present with all these things. You know, to, to mm -hmm. apply that long term perspective and, and to help people uh, figure out what to do with it today. And so that paper was really a product of my own reflection on that of, you know, how do you respond in times like this and, and recognizing it's not how you would respond other times. So the paper starts with a quote that I actually considered using from my first book on poverty. It's George Orwell from his first published novel called Down and Out in, in Paris and London. It essentially says poverty annihilates the future. And a lot of people use that quote to talk about how desperate and, and terrible poverty is. And, and in many ways, it is that just doesn't happen to be what George Orwell was saying. And what he was really saying is that because poverty annihilates the future, that's kind of the upside of it, because you don't have to worry about the future. He was this is back. He was in Paris, and they had francs at the time. He said, if you have 100 francs in your pocket, then you got to worry about what you're going to do the next, you know, in the future, the next days and weeks. If you only have three francs in your pocket, that might be enough to eat for today, but you can't you don't really have to think beyond that. Um, so that that's part of maybe the compassion for just focusing on getting through the day. And, and that's already a big achievement. And, and there's some grace in not having to think as much about, you know, the future and, and what you're gonna do next month or next year. Do you think, you know, as 
so many organizations had to just stop in their tracks. Um, many of them had to completely pivot and think about their business model, how they deliver services, how they, they deliver their work. Thinking certainly about, uh, in this moment, I'm thinking a lot about healthcare and the delivery of healthcare, um, the, the rise up of telemedicine, right? Really challenging how, how certain work in, in connectivity gets done. That this idea that for so long, like as long as I've been in this work, organizations have mapped out their five-year strategies, their 10-year strategies, right? They have put it all on paper on these are the steps we are going to do to be able to get to this, which takes into absolutely no account the world around us, right? And so it's fascinating then to have a moment like COVID that we all experienced in very, very different ways, but we all experienced it, how much it really did what you are saying, which is it's about the now, and we can look out a bit, right? But there's no planning and plotting the way that I think we had become accustomed to. Um, and do you think that that's going to change? That perhaps people won't do the kind of three-year, five-year, 10-year planning the way they had because of this moment? So I had a conversation a few months ago with uh, a fr- good friend and colleague, Kurt Wilson, and he and I wrote the paper that's on the beyondcovid.live uh, website, which is written early in the pandemic about how to plan your way out of the uh, out of the pandemic and I think we talked about that on the yeah on the community conversation we did and we we're just joking we said you know we, we always are telling clients you know the whole three to five year plan with these detailed activities you know by year four or five probably none of that stuff is going to be relevant so let's do a, a light touch on that and uh, we we're just joking we never have to have that conversation again we never have to explain hey things could happen that you don't expect so that that's another mm-hmm. upside of, of, of the past year I guess now the question is what does it look like when we do go back to planning for the future I think that organizations need to assume a blank slate at least at first and they have to say look this is what we came together originally to do you know here are the underlying values you know we came we came together to set up a food bank and because we cared about food insecurity and then like what's deeper below that and and then apply that into this new world, not assuming that any of the past context is going to stay the same. Now, a lot of it will, but some of it could change in way already has changed or could further change in, in ways we're not expecting. I've uh, recently put out a paper with, with a, a friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Les Wallace, who's here with me in Colorado. And we, we said, you know, if you're having your first board meeting after all this, uh, really treat your board members as if they're they're from another planet. They've just arrived, and then give them a brief on okay, here's what it's like right now on planet Earth, and use that as the starting point to start thinking about the future and what do you want to do because because there will be a lot that will be different. Well, and that's a good transition because I know that that's something that you are doing and are are looking to do more of, um, which is one of your great areas of expertise, facilitation. I ask about purpose. I, I, I would think, or at least from an outsider, seems like that is that is part of your your purpose. That you are extremely uh, skilled at that. And those meetings are very complicated, right? So, so tell us um, what are some of the things that you're thinking about in terms of how you're arming those organizations to prepare for that first meeting back. Well, the first one is to really ground the meeting and the conversations in a personal reconnecting among among the people there. And I think even if you've been on Zoom calls with people for the past year, you're not you're not as connected to them as you probably would like to be and as you would need to be to to really dig in 
and plan a future together. So one of the points, for example, that we make in that paper is to really treat the first part of of one of those sessions, you know, your first in-person board meeting or workshop or retreat after the pandemic or as a pandemic winds down anyway, optimistically. We talk about applying reintegration therapy with people in in families where it's just it's something really traumatic is happening. Maybe it's a really, you know, brutal divorce and custody battle. And so a parent and a kid need to be reunited and, and reconnected. And and there's a process for that. And there's uh, it's, there's a real intentionality around that. And I'd say for any executive director of a nonprofit and your board's coming back together, really focus on that. And, and people will know people who have died or have um, really been affected uh, financially or, or health-wise. And if they're not able, if you don't explicitly create the context for them to share those types of experiences and reconnect in those relationships, and you just jump into, okay, here's our financial, you know, here's our budget for next year. And what should we do for strategy? Uh, I think that would be a mistake. We're having someone on this season who is a culture expert. Uh, and we'll be talking more about what you just outlined there is a, a return to humanity first, right? right. That um, for a lot of organizations, they will, they will come back and realize that the culture that they had built when they were all together maybe perhaps wasn't the most inclusive one. Um, mm-hmm. So what, what I'm hearing from you loud and clear is, is something that we certainly uh, work on and focus and, and should continue. All businesses should continue to work on this is building that inclusive human first, you know, person first culture. If the past year has taught us anything, it, it has taught us that we can't separate our you know board member identity from our personal identity. I mean, we've had screaming right. kids in the background and barking dogs and, uh, you know, people coming to fix broken furnaces or whatever the heck it was. Right. And um, right. so we're, we're all in whether we want to admit it or not. As, as we talk, my girls are next door and I'm fairly certain it is virtual PE class right now as I hear a ball <laughs> hitting against the wall. <laughs> but, but you're right. That's the, it's the world we're in. One more thing about this paper. So um, you, you've got some quotes in here um, and we will share this in the show notes so that folks know how to get it and find it. But you referenced the Stockdale paradox. Um, Stockdale, um, as you know, as I, as I think you know, certainly, um, he leaned on the Stoic philosophy during his time as a prisoner of war. He lived by this core tenant um, of Stoic philosophy that you don't control what happens to you. You control how you respond. Um, I, I've tried to remember that and live that up every day as we start a day, trying not to set expectations for our kids when the day could change significantly intraday, right? Um, how has 2020 changed how you respond to those challenges around you? As a little more context for that, for that paper, I have called myself a futurist and I still do, but I've called myself a futurist for gosh, 12 years now. And that's a big part of my professional identity. And, and so the whole experience of being a futurist at, with this long-term perspective at a time when people just really want to know what was going to happen next month. I mean, it, I've had to adjust that identity and come to terms with it. And, and a lot of my initial work in the pandemic was applying some of those futures tools to help people understand what the next year might look like, which is very different from looking, you know, 10, 20 years out. At, at how society could change as generations change and the rest of it. To some extent, this paper is a, a recharacterization of the role of a futurist. And I make 
a couple mentions mm-hmm. to being a futurist. You know, part of me wonders if the attraction of the future to me is that, you know, the present often stinks. <laughs> so it's easier to talk about, oh, the world will be great, you know, 10 or 20 years from now, rather than facing, well, it's actually got some issues right now. So mm-hmm. for me personally, this paper helps me come to terms with, okay, what if you're not going to just escape to the future and talk about whiz-bang things that'll happen and and social yeah. transformations that will have taken place, well, then how do you engage? And I think I think the Stockdale paradox speaks to that. In, in the paper, the, the part I quoted, basically it's Admiral Stockdale saying that the people who were least likely to make it out of the Hanoi Hilton, the prisoner of war, prison uh, that he spent a number of years in in, in Vietnam, uh, the people who are least likely to make it out were the optimists who, who just thought, okay, we're going to be out here by Christmas. And then Christmas would go and other holidays would go by and they were still there. And then they lost hope. And uh, Victor Frankel, the other author I quote in the in the piece, shared the same insight from his time in Auschwitz and other uh, German uh, concentration and death camps. And so it really is, how do you come to terms with what's going on right now and how do you respond without just jumping to, okay, it's going to be great. At the same yeah. time, the future still has value and Viktor Frankl speaks to that. So, But it's a different type of, fu- of future and it's a different way of conceiving your own relationship to the future. And that's what I was really trying to get at in the paper because it, there's a paradox. If you're not, if you're just living in the now, then you do get despondent and desperate. But if you're leaving the now and and going off in the future, then you you fall victim to the Stockdale paradox. So it, it's yeah. like any good consultant, I'll say it's both. You know, the answer is yes. Right. Yes. And and it's not, uh, at least I, I would think it's not a call to uh, forget the power of optimism, but not to rest on the laurels of optimism either, right? To, to think that it will just all be okay. It eventually will just get through this. Every single decision we collectively make today, whether we wear our mask or not, right? Whether we send our kids back or not, they all have an effect on on the, the end goal, right? And so it's how are we doing our best every day to to live and do the best we can? Yes, and playing mm-hmm. my consultant card again. Good. Uh, yes, and it, with respect to our kids, there's an opportunity to recognize their resilience. Early on in this experience, I just I just had the realization like this is their life. Like they're, I told the kids early on, I said you're going to look back on this as a major piece of your childhood. And part of that was I wanted to communicate to them that I didn't think they were going to die. And the other piece of it was that it's true. They're going to respond to this in ways that I I can't even anticipate. And maybe this will turn out to be a really hard thing that forces them to grow in ways that they then appreciate. Maybe it'll set them back and, and you know, beyond what I can prevent. Not to just throw in the towel, but it, but it, recognizing that the world, yeah, I do have faith in the world and i probably have greater faith now than i than i did before the pandemic and mm-hmm. and that faith in the resilience of of humans to do their best i think that's uh that's critical to you know surviving just the mental health challenge that is associated with what we've been through the past year there's a lot still to be determined the effects of the time that we are in that is for sure we are already at the end which is hard to believe because i've got so many of more questions pandemic? i want to 
ask no, you. No, yeah. just the podcast. <laughs> well, Darn it. I'm not a futurist. I cannot say, <laughs> uh, nor nor can you um, on that one. But I do as we're as we're winding down here and wanting to leave folks with something to dig into more, to learn more about, um, to inspire their actions further. I'd love to see what's inspiring you. Is there a, a great idea you've come across, inspiration, a book, or, or anything else that you'd want to share? I guess the biggest thing that I would draw inspiration from is just the gratitude to be alive when there's a lot of stuff happening that does challenge you. You know, the past year has been really tough, and we have become more aware of things about ourselves and our country and our relationships than we otherwise would have uh, become. So uh, to the extent that that is the platform from which to do better things in the future, I think there's a lot to be grateful for. And and uh, may we all seize that opportunity. That's a great place to end. Well, Eric, I am so grateful for you and for your insights and thoughts and all the work you do. Um, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Gary.